Welcome to the show. In this one, I talked to Brock Lindo of 36 Crazy Fists. For 25 years, he was the vocalist of the band, and along with his bandmates, he wrote albums and performed songs, toured, connected with people at shows on a nightly basis, and then repeated the cycle. He was 18 years old when 36 started, a founding member, and at that age, young bravado and vitality helped them be, as Brock puts it, a band of the people. They partied with fans before and after shows. They moved to Seattle, then to Portland, to pursue a dream of being rock stars. And they did it. They were rock stars. Kids from Alaska, playing their music all over the United States, Europe, and South Africa. Fans knew their lyrics, asked for autographs. And Brock appreciated all of it, but he never got comfortable with it. Fame just wasn't for him. And he always longed for being back in Alaska hanging out with his friends, and commercial fishing with his dad. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the Crude Magazine Patreon subscribers. If you already subscribe to the Crude Magazine Patreon, thank you. For those listeners who aren't, please consider subscribing at patreon.com slash crude magazine. That's patreon.com slash crude magazine and pick the subscription tier that works for you. I want to thank everyone subscribed to the Company Man tier. These are the people who have subscribed to the Crude Patreon for $50 or more. Trina Duber, Seward Brewing Company, The Grind Coffee Shop in Juneau, Derek Adolph, Jake Liska, Sharon Liska, Alaska Surf Adventure, and Aquila Space. Thank you to all the Patreon subscribers. Your money and your support make these conversations possible. You can also support this podcast with a one-time payment at buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. That's buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. And if you have a chance to rate or review crude conversations on Apple Podcasts, please do. Also, you can now get crude apparel and merchandise at TeePublic. From t-shirts to hoodies to stickers, baby onesies, and more. Just go to the Crude Instagram and click the link in the bio. Okay, back to Brock Lindo. He's 47 now, and he doesn't miss being on the road, driving endlessly from venue to venue. He prefers being with his family, hanging out with his friends, co-hosting the Bob and Brock show on K-Whale, and being his daughter's biggest fan at her hockey games. He says he's still learning how to manage his energy, and his enthusiasm at her games, though. Sometimes it can be tough separating himself from his rock star days to being the role model he needs to be for his family. But it's essential. And he hasn't given up on music. He probably never will. It tends to show up when he needs it most. Like during COVID, when everyone was navigating all of the uncertainty, he connected with a few old friends and a few new ones to form a new band called Paradise Slaves. So here he is. Brock Lindo. <laughs> this red light right here, it means we're recording. Okay, fired up. Crude conversations. Listen more, then you talk. Go to work!
You know, I just listened to the Hobo Jim Lives On episode of the Bob and Brock show on K-Whale, and I loved it, man. Okay, cool. Unfortunately, I never really knew too much about Hobo Jim until his passing, but I've since listened to a bunch of his songs, and they're great. Yeah. You know, there's this point in that episode where this young musician, Bethany, sings along to the song Wild and Free, and it seems like it was a pretty special moment for the show. Yeah, definitely. She w- She's definitely going to be a star, that little girl. She, uh, uh, You know, we get a lot of guests in there, and we we see the nerves you know what i mean like people come in kind of nervous for whatever reasons um and it quickly goes away but for that little girl she rolled in there and she was just in charge just very confident uh super funny just a a really old soul in a 10 year old how often do things like that happen on the show where you get those those kind of like one of a time moments uh i mean the show is probably not always appropriate for children, <laughs> I'll say. <laughs> so uh, we don't get a lot of kids coming on. I mean, my daughter, she's 13, and she's been on the show a few times, which is always super cool. And Bob's had his kids on forever, off and on. Uh, he's got four boys, but so he's got a couple young ones that are just now you know, coming on the station and, and getting on air too, which is fun. But for the most part, uh, you know, we we didn't have guests for two years during COVID, and this is my fourth year on the show. So half of it we've had guests, half of it I didn't, and uh, it's a much better having the guests. It's fun having them on, and uh, you know we have a great time having our morning conversation together. I love Bob; he's been my brother for thirty years. Uh, so we we really get along great, and we have a lot of fun. I'm really grateful for the job, but having the guests on do bring a different element somewhat kind of i can imagine from what you're doing here in the pod just having guests and getting conversations with kind of random folks that are doing something Mm -hmm. is uh i always enjoy the guests coming on it just makes it a little different you know instead of the the normal everyday routine that we have from 6 a.m to 10 a.m for sure and what brought you on the show you said it's been your fourth year yeah how'd you get on the show how how did you become a host um crazy enough i interned on the show maybe like 20 years ago um, when it was the Bob and Mark show. Mm-hmm. So I uh, I used to like go get the newspaper and circle the sports stores stories for Mark so he could, this is pre-internet, you know? And uh, mm-hmm. so, uh, or at least I wasn't too familiar with the internet yet. So that was my first gig there. Um, after my old band 36 Crazy Fist had our 25th anniversary, I was definitely done with touring and and we kind of put the band to bed then and that definitely led me into okay what's my next gig and Mm -hmm. i was already before the 25th anniversary i was already i was i already had the job but i definitely knew in my mind that um touring was a thing of the past for me uh i missed like the first five birthdays of my daughter's life being on the road and i just uh it pained me to be away from Alaska a lot, and especially when I became a father. So mm-hmm. um, just, you know, the touring thing is a young man's game and I, I got to do it for, you know, 25 years and I'm super grateful for it. But uh, yeah, that was probably the, the big reason that I really went headfirst into the, the radio gig. And how much did you know about the Bob and Mark show 
I mean, a lot. I grew up with it. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, yeah. it was a big part of my mornings as a kid, and just I thought it was hilarious. Uh, I've always been into talk radio. Um, I know, like my my certain people don't dig talk radio, and I'm talking before uh, podcasts got going. I'm talking about the AM. You know, uh, the AM shows. You know, for some reason, I always liked it. I've always seen that there's a special knack for the guys that are by themselves. Mm -hmm. um, the, the man that can, or the woman, whomever, who can have the conversation for three or four hours during their show by themselves is a pretty good skill set. Like mm -hmm. I've had to do the show by myself a couple times and it is brutal. Like I totally suck at it. It's, <laughs> it's uh, now Bob can do it. No problem. You know, he's, he's, you know, he's been doing radio for so damn long uh, that it's just second nature for him. Yeah. But for me, man, talk about having lack of content. Like, I just rack my brain of like, okay, what can I talk about? There's like certain things that I love and there's only like, and I, and I know a lot about them, one being heavy metal and music and the other being hockey. And those two subjects uh, are my favorite things, but you can only talk about them for so long until you got to <laughs> kind of turn the page and get going on to something else. So uh, I struggled with the solo shows, but then again, I think uh, when we start anything new, you know, it takes a while to get good at it and I'm definitely progressing, but uh, I would much always rather have a guest or be with my partner. For sure. You know, I always say that, it's tough for me to listen to comedy podcasts or even podcasts where they don't have guests because, you know, on episode 1,462, you know, I've heard enough about this person. Yeah. Like, I don't need to know any more about this host. I'd like to, you know, hear from a guest. Totally. Yep. You know, I saw Bob at Ferrande like years ago and he was doing some announcement and he was like among the crowd and he was just like talking and, you know, coming from like a journalism background myself and knowing that you need to do certain things in order to get people comfortable for an interview. Yeah. And especially if it's in person and, you know, there's, there's charisma involved. There's this, uh, personable, um, quality to it. And I just, you know, that it, all of that is just beaming off that guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I said, man, he is just comfortable uh, on stage. He, that's one thing about him and I, that's very different. Um, and people would probably be like, what do you mean? You know, just because, I do not like getting on stage and like announcing bands. I don't like public speaking. I don't like, it was very easy when you can say something and the bands behind you and you know, they're hitting the cymbals and strumming the guitar and there's all that noise. Mm -hmm. But like when you're by yourself, um, I, I feel very uncomfortable. I've never been, you know, good at it uh, almost to an extent of not thinking that I'm really a really shy person, but in those moments, I, I clam up like he'll be like, and it's, I think it's weird because I do, I did it for so long on in some facet, but not like how he does it. Right. He's just going in the crowd, talking to people, uh, going on stage. He's been announcing all the bands at, uh, 
Matanuska Bruco and Eagle River all summer long. They've been doing the outdoor venue there. And, mm-hmm. you know, he gets up and it's just so easy for him. And he's, uh, me, I'll be like, palms sweaty. <laughs> you know, uh, just, I just never been good at it or comfortable with it. I don't know if I'm, uh, but it just seems like people think that I would be, you know, love to do that. And I really don't. I, I, I remember years ago, I was asked to go talk to a, uh, a classroom of seventh graders at Golden View Middle School about chasing your goals. And that was like a literal nightmare for me. It, <laughs> I mean, I'm super glad I did it and I was honored to be asked, but I'm talking 30, you know, 12 year olds, all eyes on me. They don't even know who I am. You know, the teacher was like a fan. So like, they're like, who the hell is this guy? And uh, I'm up there. I literally had like, a minute worth of a speech to like to prepare for this like and it was it felt like 10 seconds and of course the thankfully the teacher kind of saved me and she started asking me questions and once the questions come my way i'm cool yeah but if i have to like open it up even on the show when bob's not there like tomorrow we're doing a rock the book drive and he's going to be out in wasilla i'll have to bring us in on the show you know being like hey it's the bob rock show 7 30 a.m whatever I'll be nervous about that. And that's like the simplest, stupidest thing, but it's definitely something that messes with me. But uh, yeah, that, that uh, middle school class at Golden View, man, that, that threw me for a loop for a bit. For sure. I think if anybody wants to be humbled, go into a middle school or a high yes. school and, <laughs> and think that you're important and think that you have something cool to say and definitely. just look at, the reactions on their faces. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank God for the teacher asked me a few questions. And then they did ask me some questions, but you know, um, anyway, it was, I survived it. And like I said, honored to be asked, but man, I was never good at those things. Do you think that that's because the way that you did it in the past involved being part of a band? Uh, yeah, I think I was much more comfortable with the, the, the noise, you know, that would surround my you know speaking moments Mm -hmm. um so yeah definitely definitely felt more comfortable up there with the band but also uh i think you like i don't know if you have this experience but like when people tell you that what the what music has meant to them or whatever you've done in your life that enhanced someone else's life in some fashion it's super awesome to hear it but it's almost uh, like I've always just felt a little bit, not embarrassed, embarrassed wouldn't be the right word, but uh, not comfortable with the, the, the photos or the, the signatures. I'm always grateful to do it, mm-hmm. but it always seemed like I was being punked at first. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like if I say, oh yeah, let me, let me pull out my marker. And they're like, yeah, right, dude. You know, or, yeah. I, but of course that never happened. And it was always wonderful to, to receive any kind of thing like that, but I never was that comfortable with it. Like, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that also coming from Alaska, I think, uh, you are to stay humble. You, your, my circle of friends would have kicked my ass if I ever got a big head about any of this stuff, which I'm grateful for. Yeah. And that kind of shaped us. Um, but, you know, touring with other bands from all over the place, you saw the egos and not to say that egos entirely bad. Um, it's good to be confident and, and kick ass at your craft. But um, our thing was such a, we're, we're like a 
a band of the people, you know, uh, we'd mm -hmm. be at the bar partying with the people before the shows at times, which wasn't always <laughs> a good idea, but, um, <laughs> you know, things like that, that just made us one of the just regular dudes and always wanted to hold on to that as, as much as possible. And I think that was just also came from, you know, coming from such a blue collar place, like, like Alaska. And, mm -hmm. uh, it, it was good for me, but like I said, all those, you know, those rah, 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 pump up moments, just, uh, I don't, I, I'm grateful for them, but it just, it was always kind of an embarrassing, shy kind of moment for me. You know, I have the exact same thing, you know, when I used to snowboard, yeah. um, you know, I'd come back to Alaska if I wasn't there already. And I would, you know, I was young. I, I think I had a big head and thinking that people were going to think I was the shit. And then, <laughs> you know, then, then you kind of encounter the reality of it. And I think that when I was younger, it would bum me out, you know, because, you know, you're working on this thing and you're getting good and you want people to recognize it. But like you said earlier, you know, Alaska keeps you humble. Yeah, I think it's good good to be humbled. You know what I mean? It's good. It's also good to feed your ego at times. You know, we all need that. We all need that pump up. And especially if we're working at our crafts and getting better and progressing, like, like you said, with you were doing with the snowboarding and getting to, you know, be one of the, the, the top guys in your group and everybody knows it. And, and just as long as, you know, you got your people around you to make sure you don't, you know, lose sight of why you began and, and and what you're doing it for and and who supported you along the way. I think those are the keys to being, you know, respected at your craft and, and not getting to that situation where people don't, you know, want to be around you anymore because, you, you know, let's start making all kinds of tags about you, sell out, whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's important. And I think coming from here, uh, you and I both have felt the um, – the isolation from uh the big city uh for me specifically for, through music i mean we weren't in uh the big cities in the beginning to even see all the touring acts coming through kind of had to find your own way and i think a lot of you know people that have become successful from this way or from alaska do it in a, a different way that the than the big city kids are doing it yeah it seems like Portland is a pretty popular spot to go to. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know if it still is. It was back then. You know, we, we moved out of here in 96 and we went to Seattle first just because it was the first big city. Uh, and I wasn't even 21 yet, so we couldn't get any shows, I remember. And um, we had some friends that had moved down to Portland. So we probably stayed down in the, the Washington area for – I don't know, six months or so before we hit the road down to, down to Portland. And that's where we ended up staying. I, I think I stayed there from there till I moved back to Alaska in 03. And then uh, at that point we were touring pretty heavily. So it didn't really matter where you lived. You know what I mean? You just kind of mm -hmm. got together for a couple weeks before tour for rehearsal. And then, or you were just on the road for like six to eight months out of the year uh, traveling and playing. So <clears throat> I was I was real happy to move back in 03, I remember. What was it like when you guys relocated to Seattle first and then to Portland? And maybe what were you guys looking for? Touring. I mean, we didn't know anything about 
any other part of the music business other than we knew we wanted to play more shows we didn't know any bands that were on any labels or anything like that so that was kind of the farthest thing from our minds at the time just because we wanted to kind of did all we could here i think you know uh, mm -hmm. there it was a wonderful scene here at the time but you can't tour from here and you, of course i had that old punk rock book book your own fucking life i don't know if you remember that book i don't think so it's probably sold at borderline at one time back <laughs> in the day but it was just a cool old punk rock zine yeah. that basically had all the venues addresses all over the country where you could send your press kit to try and get a show so you'd book your own fucking life was the name of it but it was basically how to set up your own tours and um you know we were doing that we were sending our press kits down to seattle and portland and uh we had some friends that uh managed a bar in Truckee. so i remember in the beginning we played a couple of halloween shows uh out there in Truckee, which was awesome um but other than that, we hadn't really done any touring until we actually did get signed uh, in 99. And then that's when we kind of started, well, doing our full U.S., our first full U.S. tour then. Mm -hmm. You know, that seems to be a pretty common sentiment that when you feel like you've done all you can in Alaska, you move on. I wonder if, you know, after moving on and, you know, you guys land in Portland. Do you guys, or do you feel like you found it? You know, you found what you were looking for. Yes, definitely. I mean, the, the ability to see bands seven nights a week, uh, all the different venues, everything I was interested in was there. Um, now that being said, it wasn't really a very rock metal place. Uh, so, I think, which was a good thing, you know, it was a little easier to stand out as opposed to there being like, you know, hundreds of metal bands. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Portland was always kind of like an indie, um, it was a, a decent hip hop scene for sure. But uh, as far as like heavier bands, there was maybe like three to five good ones that were like playing a lot that I remember. And, you know, in the beginning we would just, you know, kind of try and meet everybody at the bar. We were pretty wild back then i mean we had out drink everyone and just that was our <laughs> that was our claim you know you yeah we were definitely pretty rowdy dudes and uh a lot of a lot of fights a lot of alcohol driven fights you know things of that nature which i'm very glad to be removed from these days but um yeah nope i found it all there i loved it um i loved it until you know i the homesickness was very real for me i commercial fished with my dad uh since i was like six mm -hmm. so i still was coming home in the summers until we started doing the european festivals which would take up the summer so like probably until 2001 or two i was still coming back every summer and and working with my dad so uh that was also very cool for me it was kind of a you know, I wrote a lot of songs out on that inlet and uh, which probably lent to a lot of the Alaskan themed lyrics that I had going on in, in, in that band. You know, after you moved back to Alaska in 2003 and, you know, you're out there on the boat, commercial fishing with your dad, did you have any, I don't know, like thoughts, moments where you're like, man, I'm glad to be back? Oh, yeah, all the time. Like, uh, coming out of the mouth of the Kenai, you got uh, 
Mount Readout right in front of you, you know, out there. And it, some of those mornings, it would just be the most beautiful day on the inlet. And you're looking at that and you're like, you can't believe it's your office. You know what I mean? It just, yeah. And I do remember that when I, those times coming back, I would look at the mountains completely differently. Like when I lived here, you know, I was born here. I, you just kind of, you drive down Diamond Boulevard in Anchorage and you're just, you take those mountains kind of for granted. They just mm -hmm. always been there. But when I would come back in those summers, man, I, those mountains meant a different thing to me. Like how much I missed it. My buddies used to always joke about my, my return ticket being called the open ender because <laughs> I would, I, we'd have like a big blowout a night before I'm supposed to be leaving and just call him like the next day and like, Hey, get to Portland. I'm at like, now, nah, man, I'm still here. I'm going <laughs> to, I got another flight for tomorrow or whatever, you know, I just never wanted to leave. Yeah. I, I never wanted to go back there and it had nothing to do with my distaste for, you know, the Northwest. I loved it, but I just didn't like not living here. I, there was something that called me constantly back here, which also kind of, uh, made me not really relate to other uh singers that were from bigger cities um that were just so in love with that big city life and and um not that i wasn't like excited about you know going up the ladder and trying to get bigger and and make your career you know more successful monetarily things of that nature but i didn't have the drive to like be you know living in LA or Nashville or where all these people need to go to really get exposed. Um, I just never really had that. I was grateful for what we had. Couldn't believe we got out of the garage in the first place. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there's been some moments in my life, um, when I was in 36 that like, I literally would get, uh, you know, a beer and go by the hotel pool. And one specifically in Johannesburg, when we went to South Africa, uh, I literally was sitting by the pool in the middle of the night, drinking a beer, looking at the moon that was directly above me, not on a trajectory at all, directly above me. And I, I remember like kind of breaking down in these like joyful, emotional tears. Just to, I couldn't believe that our band had got us to Africa. Yeah. You know, it was just like such a trip. And of course, then uh, just to add this, I mean, it was such a wonderful thing for me. I, I met my wife. And uh, so she lives here now. I, my wife's from South Africa. Just, I, I do know there was a few pivotal things that I'll take to my grave with me, you know, that it's just such a, um, just a, a, a moment that I, I just could not be more grateful for in my life, which music provided a lot for for me for that. And, and I, I don't miss it. I don't miss, I mean, music's going to be in my life forever. I don't miss the touring at all, but I do uh have wonderful memories that i'll always have and and i encourage anyone that wants to get out there and see the world for whatever they're doing man it's it's really something you should do i think people that stay in one place uh their whole life they have such a tunnel vision mm -hmm. uh, it's good to get worldly it's good to go meet other cultures and other people from other places and and you know find your find your way you know and and bring it back to where you live and it kind of it's it's a cool thing to be able to you know strike up a thing and say oh yeah i've been there or whatever you know it's it's something i'm grateful for are you the type of person who's comfortable leaving certain things in the past you know that was for younger brock rather than trying to recreate them 
Yes. Um, mostly, I mean, I think I wrestle with my age a bit because I still feel like, you know, 18. I, I, I can't believe I'm 47 sometimes. I'm like, whoa, where did all that time go? And it just went by in a flash, which, which I think is a lot of us can relate to. But for the things that, that like touring, for example, that's something that every musician, I think, really strives to do. They really want to get out there and get on a tour. And I, I, I accomplished that. So I don't look back on wishing to do more of that because in the end, oh man, unless, unless you're really crushing it, if you're, you know, flying around in jets, private jets, and you got a tour bus, um, which we never had a tour bus in the States, only outside of this country did we ever have a tour bus. Mm -hmm. So I toured in a van and an RV all those years in, in, uh, the States. And that's, the RV breaks down too much. So not that it wasn't comfortable enough. It surely was, but they break down so much when you're trying to touring. I mean, you got to pedal to the metal all through the night to the next town uh, when, when you're on the level that we were on. So the days off, you're not making any money. So we try not to have many of those. So it was kind of a grind, but um, so that kind of touring, just like I said, it's a young man's game. And especially if you're touring in a van, mm -hmm. which you know, everyone should tour in a van to begin with. Not everybody does, but I, I think it's a kind of a rite of, rite of passage there to get through the van onto the RV onto the bus. Yeah. That's that's the way it should go. Um, but like the van, dude. I'm six four. I just <laughs> hate my hips. Always hurt. Yeah. You know, it's just like, oh, but. Anyway, yeah, I to answer your question, I am happy to leave it in the past, and I'm. It's a very fond memory. And I think that it takes a certain person to be a like a touring musician for like decades. Yeah. My wife and I recently saw Bob Dylan, you know, and he's like in his 80s. And yeah. I was like, oh, this is going to be really fun. And it, and it was fun, although I didn't recognize any of the songs that he played. <laughs> probably because he's got so many songs. Right. And I feel like I know a couple albums, but they weren't in there. Anyway. Um, I'm watching him and I'm like thinking about maybe myself at that age. Maybe that was going on. That's what was going on. And I'm like kind of reflecting on. You like, were thinking of yourself as, in an, as an 80 year old. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Uh -huh. I mean, I kinda, cause I'm kind of like, uh, I have a lot of old habits anyway. I don't like, you know, I don't like loud music. I don't like, you know, I've always <laughs> been like that since I was like a teenager, you know? So is that right? Yeah. It's really weird. Um, anyway. Um, so I'm watching Bob Dylan and I'm just kind of thinking, at that age, I want to be like at home, you know, I want to like maybe yeah. like have a garden or like, you know, just something that's really Definitely. mellow Definitely. and just thinking about him singing, just thinking about this loud atmosphere. He is one of those people that probably thrives off of touring. I mean, he must, right? Cause he's in his eighties and he's touring. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you, you mentioned a, a man that's had incredible success, you know, like, just an icon in music. And I have a killer Bob Dylan poetry book that I, I look through every now and again. Mm -hmm. I never was a Bob Dylan fan. I, I never liked his voice, but man, he could write some lyrics unreal. But yeah, a guy like that, he doesn't know any different, right? He's been doing it since what, the 60s? Yeah. At least. And he's had success on every level. So, you know, not to say that it's not a grind for him, especially at 80, I'm sure it is. But he's... He's doing it 
in luxury. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's not he's not getting in the van and and humping <laughs> gear after the show and you know hoping to grab a big burrito at the truck stop afterwards. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but good for him, man. Still doing it at that age. I mean, you look at the Rolling Stones. That's incredible. Yeah. But the people that are doing it on that level still have had serious success monetarily and fandom, you know? So, um, it's, I think I was starting to get to a point where all your buddies own homes. They all have kids. They're all getting a house on Nancy Lake or big Lake. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I was like, you know, sitting there always reminding myself, I am rich beyond money. You know what I mean? The experience, mm -hmm. I'm way richer than, than money is. You know what I mean by that? And, and and so I always had that in my mind. But at some point as I got older, I really craved it. You know, I, I craved having a family. I craved um, having a house, you know, just regular the regular stuff, yeah. just stuff that everybody has. But I wasn't, you know, when you're in a touring band and, and your, your sole purpose is to you know, connect with people on a nightly basis on stage and then write a new album and do the whole cycle again and again for 25 years, you do start seeing things that you missed out on. I missed out on a college and I, and I always don't know if I miss not having a degree, but I missed the parties mm -hmm. and all the, the, the football games and the hockey games and those kind of things that every once in a while I'd visit a friend that was in college back then. And I definitely wasn't like I was, you know, sickened about missing out on college, but there's certain things that I've definitely um, put on the, the checklist of that I didn't get to do in my life. Now there's a, the good outweighs the bad by plenty, but at that time it was adding up to also owning a home, uh, you know, getting to go skiing on the weekends in Girdwood, mm -hmm. things that all my buddies were doing back here that I would kind of get homesick about a lot. Which, you know, in the end, uh, made me also further separate my joy of touring. Yeah, because maybe it signified like being away from the things that you loved. Yeah, there was no way to do it because I knew I'd be on the road. Yeah. Summers were all gone because you're doing the festival circuit. And don't get me wrong, that's a dream come true. I freaking loved all that. But you, at some point, you do sacrifice stuff. You sacrifice the... Uh, I mean, just if you have children, you sacrifice all kinds of things. I mean, I was tired of missing my kids' hockey games and soccer games. And now those are my favorite. Beyond, there's nothing even comparable mm -hmm. to going and watching my daughter play hockey and soccer. That is my favorite thing to do. I'm more fired up about her stuff than she is. She's always looking at me like I'm nuts. And, <laughs> but I am, that's my favorite thing to do. It's it's uh, it's hard to to really put in words unless you have a, have that same kind of connection with your kids or, or something like that that may be similar, but yeah, man, that's, that's what life's all about for me now. I don't, I don't miss any of that road stuff. I love being home. Are you one of those dads that is like yelling from the sidelines or yelling from the bleachers? Um, oof, I, I want to say a hard no, but I know that's not true, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, hockey, was a huge part of my life until I was 18. Mm -hmm. So uh, I love the sport. I, I, I just, it's been such a big part of my life. And now, you know, 
helping teach my daughter it and, and her love for it now. Uh, I am pretty passionate, I'll say. Yeah. Now, for soccer, um, I definitely uh, don't really – I mean, very ran, rarely now do I say anything from the sidelines. I'm, I've chilled out on the soccer fields. But <laughs> hockey, I don't know what it is. It's just one of those games that you're you're always pissed off at a ref about something. <laughs> Yeah, and 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 I know how how needed the refs are. So thank you to all the referees for refing <laughs> our kids. But um, you know, it's just one of those games. It just it gets you fired up. But so yeah, I I'm trying to be better at that. Let's just say that. Yeah, I have uh, three brothers, two older, one younger, and we all did team sports at one point whether yeah. it was hockey or yep. football or something and man there are some wild parent fights in those oh, stands unbelievable <laughs> man i thought i was gonna fight a dad in fairbanks last year and I, i'm and i know better than that like the old brock was a total dickhead but i know better than that now and we had a situation where one of our kids now these are this is 11 and 12 year old hockey right so you got to calm down and put things in perspective. But yeah. in the heat of the moment, it feels like it's game seven of the Stanley Cup playoffs, you know? <laughs> and we had a mom who basically her son got kind of checked from behind. So the kid was hurt, kind of a no penalty called. The mom on our team is flipping out. She's like really worried. And she's, you know, she's going crazy. Well, this dad on the Fairbanks team says, you know, hey, that's a clean hit. Well, there's no hitting in. 11 year old hockey it's yeah there's you can't check though you're you 14 so that didn't make any sense right okay so i'm like i i just couldn't bite my tongue next thing i know you know i'm just ready to roll and uh, thankfully cooler heads prevailed and some dads uh stepped in but man yeah that's not a proud dad moment right there actually thankfully the kids didn't see it they were on the ice but good lord i was not I wasn't messing around that morning. <laughs> Fairbanks, it was 42 below up there. What are they doing up there? <laughs> It'll get to you. Yeah, it did. Uh. <laughs> you know, I'm not a parent, but I imagine that it can be tough to like separate maybe the person that you want to be in front of your kids from the person that maybe you've been for so long, you know? Not only is it difficult, it's 100% necessary. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like uh, for me, parenting, uh, like I, I could never be a hypocrite. I mean, I did every drug under the sun growing up. I'm a heavy drinker, chilled out on it these days. But so my my daughter knows the the path that I was on. We've, we've spoke about it quite a bit. And so I would never, um, I don't want to be a hypocrite, but I also want to make sure she knows what a dead end it is. And if you don't do things in moderation, um, it's super unhealthy for you. And look at all the mm -hmm. people that have let them let it take them down. And it's taken me down at, at times in my life. So uh, I think, like you said, it's very important to to separate yourself from who you were as you're trying to become a better human being. But also you want to, you know, don't be a liar about it. You know what I mean? You got to mm -hmm. own it. And yeah. not now, obviously my kid doesn't need to know all the, all the debauchery. Right. But for the <laughs> most, for the most part, I want her to always know if she gets into any situation that she, no matter what 
is able to get a hold of me, call me, I'll be there, drop of a hat, no questions asked. We'll talk about it later. Yeah. You know what I mean? I want to be, that's how my dad was. That's how my mom was. I had a really great upbringing with two really cool parents that they actually didn't drink. My parents didn't drink, but they knew we were, and they were pretty cool about it, but they were also, you know, made me held accountable for my actions and, and told me the dangers of it. And thankfully I had good enough coaches and teachers and friends and support groups that, you know, didn't let us get too wild with it. You know, um, thankfully I, I survived a lot of that stuff that I did on own when I got out of high school. Mm -hmm. You said something earlier about not connecting with big city musicians. Do you remember maybe the first time you realized that you didn't relate to those, you know, big city musicians? You know, I don't even know the psychology of it. If it's an actual behavior thing between the big city guy and the small town guy, mm -hmm. but just the mere fact of fashion, let's say, uh, you know, I never cared about fashion and I actually might be the worst matcher of clothes ever. Like <laughs> it's kind of been a, a comedic trait of mine and I really could care less to be honest, but um, you, you get out with a lot of those bands and, and now sitting back on it, even though I like quietly maybe made fun because it wasn't our thing. Uh, and I'm talking about, you know, anywhere from wearing makeup on stage in heavy music, it wasn't really that, um, like we didn't see a lot of that, but every once in a while you would. Mm -hmm. But if I look back on it on and, and seeing like a band that became dear friends of ours, a band called 18 Visions that was from Orange County, when they first came on the bus with us in Europe, I remember they all had these little um these little box uh suitcase things, these little tiny ones. And I was like, What the what the hell are those things? You know, and I knew they didn't drink, so it was already gonna be kind of a weird month sharing a bus with them. Yeah. Um which we became great friends with, but that those little boxes <laughs> were their makeup boxes. <laughs> and in the beginning, you know, that's just something we didn't, we probably weren't, uh, I wouldn't say bullies by any means, but we really didn't relate to that. And, and we probably weren't the, the most easy to get along with when it came to guys that were like super into fashion or doing your hair real good before you went on stage. And mm -hmm. that was just not our style, which looking back, if I think about the 18 visions boys, those guys look good. I mean, they look freaking really good. Like we're up there looking like we just rolled out of bed. You know what I mean? <laughs> which was also part of it. That, that That's more of that blue collar, you know, not a lot of flash, which is, we, you know, we held, dear to ourselves i mean we we embrace that but if i think about the bands that actually take time and do have somewhat of a look some of them i'm i'm like i really dig it like nowadays i can really appreciate it is there any moment where you think back on that and that fashion and think that maybe you could have applied it to 36 crazy fists or it just wouldn't have fit I, it just wouldn't have fit. Okay. We wouldn't allow, we wouldn't allow ourselves. I remember, uh, the very first photo shoot we did for Roadrunner, which is who signed us first. Um, and they, <laughs> one of their things was don't wear another band's shirt. Um, and the, another, uh, bit of verbiage was wear something you wouldn't normally wear. And I remember myself kind of being, you know, uh, 
open-minded because I was so excited to be doing all that stuff mm-hmm. that, you know, we were in New York city and, and it was like, we finally made it. Well, um, the, those words to me, I was like, okay, well, don't wear another band shirts. That's really all I do is wear other, other band shirts. We never wore our own band shirts mm-hmm. and, uh, and wear something I wouldn't normally wear. I didn't even really know what that meant, but our drummer, Thomas Noonan, he was, the one dude that like said out loud, he's like, why the fuck would we do that? <laughs> and I'm, I mean, I love Thomas so much that he had the wherewithal to be like, what, what the fuck are you talking about? We're not, we're, we're not going to do that. And thankfully for his, his speaking up right there, I, I guess I didn't put on some outfit that I didn't normally wear, but uh, it was good to have that pushback. And I think we all kind of helped each other with that knowing that this is who we are we're not we're not part of that big city flash really we just all we know is you know car hearts and flannels and yeah. metallica t-shirts i wonder how often you look back and you're proud that you made those decisions well th- i hadn't thought about that one in a long time but that one i'm very proud of thomas for saying what he said which snapped my mind right back in place too that ultimately these guys are just trying to, you know, make money off of you and they want you to do the things that they think are the right way. And you got to stick to your guns a lot of that time, which, you know, thankfully we did pretty mm-hmm. much the whole career. You know, there's few things you got to bend on, you know what I mean? Like there's some outside influence that I think is always good to have. Cause you do get a bit tunnel visioned and you, you only know what you know, right? You're so close to it. So it's good to have an outside influence here and there. But for the most part, especially about, you know, how you look and how you dress and how you feel when you're doing it, that's, that's important. And you don't want to be like, you know, faking it. I don't want to fake it. And you guys toured in the U S and Europe, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. We spent a good amount of time over in Europe over the years. In your mind, what was the difference or maybe the similarities between touring those places? Um, I mean, we, we loved the, our fans in the States, the States, you know, it, it was, it was never that big for us. So it was always a grind, but you know, the, the people that came to the shows were as good as the fans anywhere. They were awesome people and they supported the band and we were grateful, but over in Europe, it was just a totally different level. You know, the, the big festivals are there and we got to be a part of those from the beginning. And, uh, so your, your fan base is just so much bigger there they're kind of a singing culture if you watch the soccer games you see the fans mm-hmm. you know singing songs in the crowd they're they know every lyric they knew them better than me most of the time i'd forget shit and they'd be like <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> stuff like that you know so it's it the the differences were were very striking like obviously the numbers were different the the, the numbers of people showing up to the shows the lines around the venues that always made you feel so good. It was what the drop, the rock and roll dream was, you know, the, the tour bus picked you up at the airport. The fridge is fully stocked with beer. Um, it just, it was awesome, you know? And yeah. so there was a big difference. Like I said, the fans weren't that different. There was just a lot more of them. So, you know, outside of this country, we did a lot better and, and we got, got to go to like Australia was incredible. Japan, South Africa, South America, all those places, it was just always a trip to me that, you know, that you'd, you'd speak to some of those people um, in Africa specifically. Like, I'd never even heard of this place called Mozambique, but 
the the guy I was talking to was um, I couldn't believe when he was telling me, yeah, my, me and my brother have been listening to you since we were twelve. It just blew my mind a lot of the times, and mm-hmm. um, so all that all that connection was so incredible. But there was definitely a difference between the states and everywhere else. Maybe it is like you said. Maybe they're just more musical overseas. Yeah, maybe, maybe they're they're definitely used to the festival scene way more than we were back then. I mean, we've had festivals, of course, but it's a way of life for them over there. They 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 plan this every June, July over there. It's three day campout festivals. It's it's something to see for sure. I, I think Netflix actually has a, a documentary on Vakin. It looks like Wacken, but it's a the biggest, probably one of the biggest metal fests in Germany or in Europe, but it's in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it gives you a little bit of insight of what I'm talking about. It's just the fans come from all over. They got their flags. They're flying them. It's it's just uh, it's the, one of the coolest things I've ever witnessed in my life. And, uh, again, grateful to be a part of that stuff over the years. Are there any moments from those days of recording and touring that you kind of hold close to your heart? Oh man, I've been doing demos for a new new project that I have lately, and I was talking to the engineer the other day about he had this. Um, uh, I forget what they call them. They're called like a plug-in. They're called a plug-in. So you can get this plug-in that can make like um, the, all the music and everything sound like you're doing an analog. Which you know, analog always had a more. You always hear the everyone talking about how much of a, a, a warmer sound vinyl has and things mm-hmm. of that nature well we did one record uh in 2006 in new jersey we we did a record called rest inside the flames and we did that whole record analog and it was a shit sandwich that was one of the <laughs> worst experiences of my life but it's also something i hold dear to my heart because i experienced it yeah you know in a digital world now everything's so you know if you mess up a line you can get punched right in and it's like you would never know that's two different takes Mm -hmm. it's um but with analog you can't do that you can't fake it you got to make from everything drums guitars bass vocals everything's got to get nailed and then and then if you need a break, they'll splice the tape and, ta- you know, start again. Yeah. But you're not punching it in digitally like you are with Pro Tools and things like that. So it was really painful to do it. I think the vocals took me like definitely the longest I'd ever done. And maybe like a month and a half I was out there uh, doing vocals. And it would be like, okay, we need to get this line here. And then they'd play it back to you on the tape, reel to reel. And you're like, hey, I did that yesterday. And they're like, oh, well, maybe it's on one of the the reels upstairs. Let's go look. And then you got another 25 minutes looking for that. It was just a painstakingly thing. But all the bands did it, you know, back in the day. Mm-hmm. Led Zeppelin, Stones, uh, you know, Metallica even. Like before the real digital age. So I am proud that I experienced it and did it. And But I would never do it again. No way. There's just two. It's just... Easy is not the right word. Um, fluid, uh, convenient, maybe is a better word of digital, but mm-hmm. it's it's less. Yeah, you got a less of a headache with it. That's for sure. To me, it seems more accessible. Yeah. So people who maybe are 
you know, they're not a hundred percent a musician. They're not a hundred percent talented. You know, they're 50% talented or 50% musicians and they can make a great song. Oh dude. Yeah. That's the, that's the world we're living in now. Right. It's, uh, you really don't know what's real and what's not. And, and mm-hmm. the, those analog days made you, there was no faking it, you know? Yeah. There's no, there's no faking it on those mics anyway, really. Those mics will let you know how bad you suck immediately. You know what I mean? They're, <laughs> they don't pull any punches. You, you got to put the bells and whistles on that shit later. But, um, yeah, no, you're right, man. Analog, you got to, you ain't faking it. You got to get her done. And that did kind of separate the real good musicians from, from maybe not saying the musicians today aren't talented because they definitely are, but they can cut corners for sure. What do you think was one of your favorite songs maybe to write and then to perform? Oh man. Uh, wow. I mean the big the big songs that our fans all sang were like Slit Wrist Theory and Blood Work and mm-hmm. those songs were from the earlier albums 2004. Uh and they definitely had their their you know magic live but I we never liked practicing them. We actually we we kind of skipped over them at practice cuz you played a million times, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, but those were definitely special. Like those connected with the people and and so therefore they became special, maybe more special than other songs. But I wouldn't say like, there was a whole album that I wrote, which probably is one of our lesser, uh, maybe enjoyed albums from the fans. I don't know, to be honest, I never really paid much attention. But in 2015, we had a record come out called Time and Trauma. And that that whole album is about my mom passing away in 2011. So for me, the lyrics to that, that album and just the how cathartic it was for me to be able to write that album and kind of you know find some peace in my mom's passing that that Mm -hmm. album meant a lot to me so i i can't really think of a certain song but this an album as a whole that album was pretty special to me did any lyrics come to mind uh No, <laughs> no, uh, dude, it's been so many years since I've actually heard, heard the album. I, I can't even think. I know 11, 24, 11 is specifically uh, a very pissed off song. And that's the, the passing date of my mom. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's some heavy, heavy uh, emotion and, and just the whole, the anger that I felt uh, my mom passed when she was 58. So she's pretty young. Yeah. And uh, it just, I know that song specifically really let me exercise some demons. Um, but yeah, I can't think of a freaking lyric to save my life right now. <laughs> 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 oh man, I slept since then, Cody. Do you feel like you're still that same way that, you know, singing or making music is cathartic? Yeah, because when when 36 ended, uh, I was, you know, fine, fine to go on into the next chapter of my life. And then over COVID, I befriended uh, some old friends and and new friends. And we started a project. um, So I I have a new band called Paradise Slaves, and I'm actually leaving next week to record the album. Uh, So it's it's exciting for me again. And writing music again is you know, wonderful. And, and it's something I, I think I'll probably always need to do. It's just one of those things I've been doing for so long. And I didn't realize, you know, how bad I missed it 
until I uh, became a, uh, it all kind of started. I was um, a guest singer on my buddy Tyler's album. Uh, he was doing a, 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 his own solo record and he had different singers on every song. So that's how I actually joined forces with him. So anyway, I wasn't doing anything until that, that phone call came in or that text. Mm -hmm. So when I texted that, or when I wrote that song to his music, I actually had Will, my daughter, sing on the song with me, which was something I'd never done before, which was so cool. And uh, yeah, so that was special. And that kind of kickstarted wanting to start something up again. And, and that being said, uh, I've definitely, you know, trashed the idea of touring on this pod plenty. So I don't have any real ambition to do any touring per se maybe some shows here and there would be cool with the new guy, new band uh because i think we got some really cool uh collection of songs that are going on this which was also kind of unexpected it was all actually unexpected is you know covid hit there wasn't a lot going on for musicians and he, he it just kind of found its way to me uh as we all kind of navigated that uncertainty together but uh, i'm really glad it did it it's something I'm excited about and I didn't really foresee it happening. So it's cool. It's one of those things in life that you don't expect and it, and it showed up at the door and kicked the door in and we're now we're doing it. Yeah. Like it showed up when you needed it most. Yeah. You know, maybe it did and you didn't realize it. And, and, uh, yeah, you, yeah, you said it best. I think, I think you're right about that. It really did. If you don't mind me asking what's going on with 36 crazy fists right now, nothing nothing yeah nope that was the last show what was the last show the 25th anniversary at coots okay do you remember the first 36 crazy fish show oh yeah yep yep it was at the captain's galley which is uh the basement of kinley's restaurant next to moose's tooth mm -hmm. uh it was called the captain's galley uh back then yeah us and uh i think freedom 49 was the two bands uh down there and man we used to pack that place out down there it was uh it was killer a really good show and uh you know we were fresh out of, i was fresh out of high school so most of whoever didn't go to out, out of college you know so still had a big connection with high school friends here so it was pretty packed 300 people in that little place you know what's interesting and i've been wanting to cover this more is alaskan music scene you know from back in the day so there's uh you know there's the punk scene there's the metal scene there's the rock scene and i feel like there's so many bands that have just kind of disappeared in the ether of just history and there are a few people who are maybe just like punk heads or rockheads in alaska and you know maybe they have a blog online um but i feel like when i do talk to local musicians they always have their their favorite story or this really interesting like outing where they went to like beto's or you know some local place oh beto's yeah 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 yeah, yeah beto's yeah do you have anything like that where you know you're young and you go to one of these spots and it just kind of like blows your mind Oh man. Um, so the very first, so I was in, in bands in high school as well. And so in 1990, I think the raging cage opened up, which is kind of kitty corner from the carousel lounge on, um, 
I'm sorry, just that, Cody. What's that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, buddy. I got to take my kid to a dentist at 1220, so I'm just looking at the clock here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We can finish up. Uh, Raging Cage, though. The crazy story about that. So that's where I first played my first band. Uh, my first band was called Hessian, and it was uh, high school buddies. And we played the Raging Cage, which became like the weekend first time i'd ever been to like an all-ages club that played music and stuff and i think we we're in ninth grade mm -hmm. you know just experiencing all that stuff for for the first time so it was super special whenever i drive by i think about it but the other day i was looking at this building uh to potentially buy which is behind where that building was well when you purchase that building you also get the it was uh frigid north i think was the company that was selling so anyway, I got to, it's now a church. It's called uh, Refuse City, I believe. And I got to go in there and it was such a trip to be back in that place for the first time since like 1991, probably when it closed. Mm -hmm. uh, it was really cool to be in there. And I walked around and it, it was very strange actually to be in a place so long ago that, uh, yeah, it was a trip to be in there. We ended up not getting it because... Uh, the church had a lease that was longer than we were wait, willing to wait on, but it was very, very cool to be in for sure. And it always has a special, special place in my heart for growing up in the scene here. It was the first spot for me. How much do you love Top Ramen? <laughs> uh, I actually hate it. To do be you honest. really? <laughs> yeah. And, and we have it. Like my daughter loves it. My wife loves it. It reminds me of a broke ass days. I don't know. It just, that's, I mean, I lived on that shit. So it definitely serves its purpose, but man, I'll try and eat anything else before I got to eat that stuff again. So Chad and I <laughs> talked the other day and he gave me some questions. So that's where that top ramen question came from. <laughs> that's hilarious. You know, that's stuff hilarious. that I just couldn't find online. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. That, uh, that's funny. Um, uh, he, I think I, I don't know if I've had it, to be honest, in eons, which I'm, I'm staying true to my, my belief that I don't want it in the house, but I know the girls like it. He said to ask you why they called you Dookie growing up. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, I think it's, well, not I think, I know. Uh, I was super skinny, like in growing up in high school and stuff, and I... I, I would bust a sag pretty good. And I guess apparently it looked like I always had dropped a dookie in the, the pants there. So <laughs> they, they nicknamed me dookie. Yep. He also asked why you can't seem to dive a wave in the ocean properly. <laughs> Man, that's the thing with him and a couple of our other buddies. You know, you mess up one time and that like they've always thought like I'm the worst swimmer in the world. I can swim just fine. And yeah, a uh, couple mishaps with some waves, but uh yeah, no. He's right about that. I did mistime that wave. Well, that's how you know they're your buddies. They give you the nickname that you hate. Oh yeah, 100%. 100%. Also, is Pantera better than Metallica? No. 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 Co yeah, contrary to what he would say, but uh, no, there would be no Pantera without Metallica. So he's a Pantera fan. Is that what I'm yes. getting? Absolutely. Yeah. And so am I. Okay. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I love Pantera, but Metallica is my favorite band of all time. Mm -hmm. 
So he also mentioned the time you told a joke on a bus in Hawaii <laughs> and bombed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's another character flaw that I have. I've never been able to retain a joke. You know, you hear a million jokes in your life and man, I have the worst delivery. And that specific situation, I thought I had enough liquid courage to get up on a bus full of kids that just graduated and bombed the ultimate bomb. Like told the whole joke and then completely forgot the punchline. And again, <laughs> I'm back in that classroom with the seventh graders all looking at me. And uh, yeah, man, it was brutal. They've been busting my balls about that for, well, since we were 18. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Do you remember playing the King of the Hill in Valdez? Oh yeah. 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 Those are, we played it maybe like three years. That was the best, man. I love those. It was kind of sad when it fizzled out. Do you have maybe, um, I mean, what do you remember about it? Dude, it was, it was the wild west. I mean, um, we're talking all the, all the heavy hitters were there, right? Like, uh, so all the, the pro snowboarders, you know, you're looking for the beastie boys cause you're always here and they're going to be there. Uh, I remember, um, shit, what was his name? He had the sick, uh, blazer, uh, brown blazer here. Um, oh man, killer snowboarder, uh, name some names, my age guys. Oh, uh, Matt Goodwill, maybe. Nope. Nope. This is good. He's a, he was a real wild ass. Not Sean Farmer, but it's something like that. It's like, uh, anyway, he broke both ankles. He's sitting there double fisting with double ice wrapped on the ankles. I remember right in the front of the mosh pit <laughs> while we were playing. Uh, damn, what was I can't think of his name. He had a really cool old school K5 Chevy Blazer brown, like rust color jacked up here for a while. Oh, was it Richie Fowler? Thank you, Richie Fowler. Okay. Yes, uh, I remember that. Uh, I remember basically at the end of the night of those those shows, uh, you'd basically be bartending yourself. You'd be okay at the sugar low for the totem, basically behind <laughs> the bar because the bartenders are off partying now and you're pouring your own beers and man, wonderful memories of the, those I think we did three of them. And the other crazy thing is you used to get the free heli shit chip if you played and yeah. we never used them. Like, <laughs> th like people would kill to have that. And I just yeah. remember like you just getting hammered and we never, during the day we were just like trying to survive the hangover. And, but man, Valdez has a special place in my heart. It's such a beautiful place. I need to get back there. It's been so long. They need to bring that back. When do they, when do they do those again? I know they got the tailgate thing now and, Arctic man's still holding on, but they don't have the King of the Hill stuff going anymore, do they? No, they don't. No, it's just tailgate out there. Yeah. You know, I know you got to go. I have one last question for you. Yeah. Um, or maybe one last memory prompt. So getting stuck in an elevator because you overloaded it when you were two minutes from going on stage and you had to be rescued by the Anchorage Fire Department. Yeah. Yep. We just talked about that, Bob and I, the other day on the show. Uh, yeah, it's not a good idea to put like 17 people in an elevator. Uh, just <laughs> apparently that's overloaded. And uh, yeah, we were getting ready to go down for stage time. And it's funny because actually we were all in there and 
probably talking for a good two, three minutes before anybody realized that it wasn't moving and basically pried it open and it had gone down maybe four or five feet. So it was one of those, you know, I don't know if you remember that horror story of, I don't even know if it's a real story. It might be just one of those myths. JC Penny. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I remember that one. So everybody is immediately, uh, you know, thinking that. And I remember <laughs> our bass player at the time buzzard, He's, he looks at me and he's like starting to panic a little bit. And he's like, he goes, y'all might want to think about conserving some air. <laughs> <laughs> and that was before we pried the door open. But I was immediately thinking, you know, Bruce Willis, die hard. How do I get on top of this thing? Yeah. Uh, of course, our, our brother, Nate Ellis, who's a fireman, killer snowboarder. You might know Nate. Uh, he, he's, he's like got the door open. He's looking at me like, what the hell? are you doing and the cool thing was he he brought the the fire truck over because the you know they they come to do like a you know a safety check but he was hoping to catch a little bit of the show so it would just ironically happened that nate had just showed up and yeah they yanked us all out of there damn i mean about ripped my arm right out of the socket because they didn't want whatever reasons they grabbed you quick and hard and you were out of there but um that was that was a funny funny deal don't put that many people in out there <laughs> All right, man. Well, that does it for my questions. Uh, I'm stoked to hear Paradise Slaves. Yeah, man. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? No, no. It's an awesome opportunity to talk with you, man. I appreciate it. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash crude magazine. You can also support this podcast with a one-time payment at buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. Crude Conversations is written, hosted, and produced by me, Cody Liska, for Crude Magazine. Music was produced by Alcoda Beats. 